Welcome everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Natalie. Hi. I know you're not feeling well today, know, but... I'm under the weather. I know. I can hear it, but thank you so much still for doing thank this, because this is such a, a big conversation that we are having today. It is, and I think we have one of the best people with us to discuss this topic. Yeah. But, Randy Lee, welcome. You've been with me so many years. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, you have been an instrumental part of the Pilgrimage of Rest. Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago, you, you've you heard me mull over these ideas for many, 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 many years. And you said you knew who my missing piece was, and it was Catherine Dang. We've done several podcasts with her. Yep. She's a providential historian, a scholar of primary sources, who has authored amazing history books, largely compiling primary sources. And the reason that was so near and dear to my heart, because as many of you know, and you know for sure, Randy Lee, it was when I was in high school reading the Federalist Papers, I think that was the last year it was required reading for AP classes. Mm. But I was reading the Federalist Papers, and I thought, wait a minute, that's not the same story I'm hearing in my history book. Yeah. And I stayed up almost all night and couldn't wait to go to class to make my point the next day. And it fell on deaf ears. Mm. And I was stunned. And I won't get into the implications of that narrative, but it was a transformative, painful experience in my life because I saw that America was losing her story and they had lost the language of liberty. So I think this conversation is so important, especially given we're headed for Thanksgiving. And most people don't even know the history of Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? Correct. But since we're about root cause, what's root cause is we we believe is foundational to facilitating healing of the spirit soul body and i think we need to get to the history to the root of the ideas that established this republic and frankly i've read contemporary history books and they don't tell the story so what i noticed 50, 45 50 years ago is worse now Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're literally telling this nation and citizens of this nation a different story that's not their own. And the fruit of that will be confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. Mm-hmm. So we got to get to the root cause of what established this republic. So who came here and why? Well, thank you for inviting me into this conversation. As you know, history is probably one of my favorite of all time topics to talk about. And I've had the privilege of giving the story many times over the years. And the result of that has always been, oh my gosh, I never knew that. You made history so interesting and alive, I could relate to it. And it's the story that you always talk about that really gives context to the principles that come out of it. And so when we look at what happened in Plymouth... There's so little that is taught anymore about who the people were and what drove them here and why they were thankful for surviving. 
So I thought for a little background for those that don't know American history, whether they live here in this country or they live out of the country, context is everything. So you had two groups of people. This is back in the late 1500s, early 1600s in England. You had a group of people called separatists and a group of people called Puritans. The Puritans were nationalists who believed in a Christian nation, a Christian church, and they demanded that everything go through the Christian church, which was a national religion. But they felt that the church needed to be reformed, but they were not willing to abandon its structure. Then you had the separatists who became the pilgrims. And they there was a really sharp contention between the two of them because the pilgrims did not believe that the Anglican church could be reformed. It was too corrupt. You could not put new wine into old wineskins. And basically, they wanted liberty for themselves and their families and for their brethren. They wanted to walk with God according to the dictates of their conscience and the word of God, and that they could not do that in England. And so... In Religion six, was oppressive. It was very oppressive. It was very legalistic. And it was more about conforming to the dictates of that doctrine than it was to a relationship with divine providence. So in 1609, they decided to move to the only free country in Europe at that time from the Catholic Church, and that was Holland. They moved to Leiden. They lived there for 14 years. And while they had religious liberty, they found that the secularization of the Dutch culture was too difficult for their children. And they were concerned their children would abandon their faith and their roots. So they started looking for another option and they began praying and they felt that God was directing them to go to the new world. So about 130 of them began praying and saving for a trip to come to the Virginia the Virginia colony, and they they literally bought a ship called the Speedwell, which was neither. And with all their provisions to carry them through the first year, they, load, they, they went into the ship and they ended up taking on too much water and they had abandoned the ship because it wasn't seaworthy. And so they ended up contracting with the Virginia company on the Mayflower. So now the, the passengers were no longer just these believing pilgrims, the separatists, but there was a mixed company and those that were not part of the group, they called them strangers. And so that right there created a little conflict because they had different values, different objectives, but they decided to go ahead anyway. So about 30 of them went back to Holland with their pastor Robinson. He was significant in the future colony because Robinson and Bradford have extensive letters between them we still have today where the challenges of starting this new colony colony and solutions were discussed and they're preserved so if you really want to dig into the weeds you can get into those letters and the plymouth plantation that has all of that so that's why when we look at virginia source documents while they're tedious you know that someone's not making it up it's actually between these two men and how they use the word of god as their guideline to establish the principles, to establish a colony of people in a new world. Anyway, after about three months at sea, they ended up on the, co- the northern eastern coast of the United States. And they were trying to head south to the Virginia colony, but after three days of horrible storms, they realized that maybe that's not where they were supposed to go. So they ended up in the Cape, up in Massachusetts, and they began exploring the land, 
And in the process, they found this beautifully cultivated 20-acre parcel of land that had been cleared with perfect elevation for fresh spring waters flowing through it. And they thought, this is like perfect. Um, This is where we can create a new colony. But the problem they ran into was they were dealing with people that did not embrace the same value systems. So before they could leave the ship and begin establishing this new little tiny colony of about 100 people, William Bradford drafted a document that was the first of its kind. And in that document, it embodied the principles of equality and government by the consent of the governed, and it would become the cornerstone of the American Republic. And that document is called the Mayflower Compact. And so it obviously preceded the everything. everything. So it's foundational to understand how we got to the Declaration of Independence and how we got the Constitution of these United States. Yeah, because it was the first time in known history where man chose to govern himself. So what happened when they landed? Well, they landed and they tried to be, uh, they, they established this colony, began building buildings. Half of the population died because of lack of nutrients, scurvy, but they never complained. They continued to trust in Providence to get them through. And as they had headed into the spring, thinking, how are we going to survive this land? A man comes walking into the plantation and he says, welcome. And he was an Indian and they were stunned. How does this Indian know English? And this Indian's name was Somerset. And he comes in and he says, you got beer? And he wanted British food. And they thinking, why would this Indian like English food? And he began to tell them that he worked along the northeastern trade route and with the fur trade fur trappers and that he had learned English. And so he left and a few days later he shows up with the chief of the Algonquin tribe, Massasset, and his interpreter, Squanto. And some of you may know the Squanto story. I know Disney has a video on it. But there's so much more to his story. From his own lips, he believed that he was the modern-day Joseph providentially placed there to let this little struggling colony survive. So Squanto was a man of faith. He became a man of faith. At 25, he was abducted and taken to England, and he lived there for nine years, learned English, and was eventually able to get passage back home. And what he didn't know was that while he was gone, his tribe had been obliterated by a plague. And as it turned out, his tribe, the Pautuxts, were the most violently aggressive tribe against any foreigners of all the tribes on the East Coast. And they were the tribe that had cleared those 20 acres. And then everybody died. Wow. And none of the surrounding tribes wanted anything to do with that land because they thought it was cursed by God. So when he came back and he found all those people gone, he was devastated and he didn't know what he was going to do. And he ended up being adopted by Massasset's tribe. And that's how he knew Somerset because he was part of that tribe. So when Massasset was taken to meet the leaders of the colony, now the pilgrims, Squanto came as the interpreter. And he was actually 
more comfortable in a British setting than he was in the Indian setting because he had been taken captive at 25. He had returned for a short time, was re-kidnapped, taken back to Spain to sell on the slave block, was purchased by British friars who took him back to England. He became a Christian and lived there for several more years until he returned. So he returned at 39. So for all those years, his formative adult years, he was actually in a British environment, culture, and and so when he came into the plantation and he saw how difficult things, he knew they could not survive on their own. They did not have the skills to live in this country. And it was interesting to learn that he he had despaired for his life with his people all gone. Oh. But when he met the pilgrims and they were Christians and he was Christian, he knew that's why he had been brought back. And it gave him yeah, a whole new purpose the beauty, in life. The beauty and the ashes of our lives that we talk about so much. That's yeah. amazing. Okay, and then what happens? Well, so he taught them how to survive. And there's... Phenomenal. So they were able to survive through the fall. They had enough food to take them through hopefully the next winter because they had arrived in 1621 in the spring and now we're moving into the fall. And they were so grateful that divine providence had brought this, quote, Joseph into their life to teach them how to survive in this new world and to have enough food stored for the ensuing winter that they they established a Thanksgiving dinner and they invited Masaset, the tribe chief, to come and join them. He didn't show up alone. No, he did not. <laughs> he showed up with 90 braves and these pilgrims seeing this vast number of Indians were thinking, how are we going to feed them all? We barely have enough stores to get through the coming winter the pilgrims were horribly concerned about how were they going to feed them, feed themselves if they were to share the winter stores with these 90 braves. So they did what they always did. They looked, they looked up and they said, Lord, you've brought us this far. We just pray that you're going to provide what we need. So they trusted God with what they had. They opened it up and they brought it forth. And what they didn't know was that, Messesuit was bringing in an abundance of game and food and women and children to celebrate. They celebrated for three straight days. They had wow. all kinds of games and Amazing. and like they had all kinds of activities they did. When we step out in faith and do the right thing, it's amazing how the provisions yes mm-hmm. that God makes. Yeah. So the provision was there and that was again the gratitude of surviving to that point, and then again, gratitude that they didn't have to go into their stores. They were willing to take what little they had to be an honor with these new friends. God just wanted to see if they were going to do it, and they did. And then Massaset did all the rest, which is remarkable. In all of our lives, I think that's such a common theme. We're presented with opportunities to see if we're going to release our grip Yes. If we're going to be governed by the, our flesh mm-hmm. or compelled by what Fear. our soul, our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, we talk about this all the time, or if we're going to be driven by this deep conviction and God does step in. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. So many of us allow fear to dictate what we mm-hmm. should do rather than listening to our conscience and to the direction that God has given us. So what happens next? Well, the next thing that happened is they had to survive this next winter. They did have their stores barely. 
and they had a good relationship with this tribe. This tribe, that that Thanksgiving celebration of three days resulted in a 40-year treaty with Algonquins. Wow. The, not, not any other settlement had that kind of an agreement with the Native Americans because they remain in honor and they, they didn't see themselves as superior to the Native Americans. They saw that all men were equal and they all deserved respect and dignity and to hold their words in honor, whatever they agreed to. So they became good friends of one another. Unlike, I wonder why these stories aren't told more often in the context that they really occurred. Yeah. Supported by primary sources that are very well documented. Like you said, we can't get into all the letters and all the documentation, but it was really a beautiful story of friendship. It was. Well, I'm surprised that I didn't even hear about it because this is part of my lineage is the Algonquin tribe. So knowing that like I'm connected to this whole story right. and, and like through my ancestry is really cool. That I'm surprised you- that I didn't even know. Well, I'm just grateful that those documents have been preserved and now they're digitized so they can be accessed if someone yeah. really wants to get into Where the Where can people access these primary sources besides Catherine's books? Well, Verna Hall, Verna Hall wrote a book called the, the Christian History of the Constitution, or Chalk, and it covers all of this information, has actual photocopies of Bradford's journals, his actual photocopies in the book of Bradford's journal. So you can read from his own writings, wow. his experience at that time. It's really well done. So it's Verna easy. Hall, Rosalie Slater wrote Teach and Learn, the Christian history of the Constitution, which lays out the key links in the westward movement of Christianity. And those things are also laid out there, if you wanted to read it. The Plymouth Plantation, which was produced years ago, I think in 1901, in Massachusetts. So that's a historic document. It's a book that the state of Massachusetts, or the Plymouth Foundation, I think, created. They took original source documents and they replicated them and printed them. So, The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall, who was once the the chaplain of the United States. He also talks about this in a little bit more friendly manner. He also has that for children. So, if you want to read it to your children and, again, abbreviate it so it's not quite so heavy. So, again, these are primary sources that we can all reference. Right. Okay, so what happens so after this? So, unlike the honor that they the honorable agreement they made with the Algonquins, that was not the case with the Virginia company that they had contracted to come to the new world. They had um, very inequitable agreements with them to provide. Who's they? Had. The pilgrims had a very, they were involved in a very inequitable contract. So with as the opposed Virginia. to the separatist, which we were just talking about. Well, the separatists are the pilgrims. Okay. The pilgrims are the separatists. Yes. Okay. The pilgrims are the separatists, and in order to be able to come on the Mayflower, they had to sign contracts. Basically, it was an indentured contract that they would give out of their produce and their labor proceeds back to the company to pay for their voyage to the New World. It was highly inequitable, and they did not know how they were going to survive the next unjust. year. It was very unjust, right? And to make matters worse... Another ship arrived, the, the fortune arrived with more settlers and no provision 
So here they're going into the winter. It's November of 1621, and they're going back into a harsh winter. More mouths to feed, not enough provisions for all of them. So they had to start rationing their food. So as they start moving into the spring, Bradford is struggling to understand, and they started planting, and they were not getting a harvest. They're struggling with bad attitudes. People didn't want to go out and farm the community plots, the resentment between the neighbors. Because it was kind of a communal mindset, right? Well, the At planta- that time. the plantations that had been set up by the company were set up as a communist settlement, both in labor and supply, back to the partnership of these mercenary shareholders. Where everybody put the resources in the middle, and then they were divided. So they would have one plot, and everybody had to work in that one plot. And it didn't matter how hard or how little you worked. The proceeds predominantly went to the shareholders, and what was left over came was divided up amongst the colony. Well, communism. Very inequitable, right? Yep. So you have people that are industrious and hardworking and others that are not. You have people that separated by their stations and their affluence, feeling they didn't need to get out in the fields, mm-hmm. while people that came in from lower stations did. So it created a lot of conflict. And as a it. result, they, be, they were dying. They were dying. Dying. They were ill-equipped. So Morale was low. Chaos, conflict, confusion. Yeah. They could not understand why was this happening so again, Bradford, in his letters to Robinson, began exploring fasting, praying, and exploring the scriptures, and realized that God already had laid out a providential model for them, and it was ancient Israel. And what was the model? The model was private property. Mm-hmm. If you look at when the land of Israel was established, the tribes were given portions of land, and then individual families were given their land, and everybody farmed according to the needs for their family. Mm-hmm. And so... Bradford went back and he divided up the 20 acres. Excellent farming and hard work. Abundance. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly it. And so he went ahead and he divided up the land amongst the families. And you don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. And that changed everything because now people were very industrious because they, they received a direct benefit from their labor. And so it's, I just can't help but say that we've noticed the fruit of this in our own society today as the government attempts to regulate, manage, control everything. And we have this communal mindset manipulating the affections of people, appealing to the greed of others and the sympathies of others. This is much like what we're facing in America today. So I think this discussion is so important because it does not work. We have Venezuela, we have China, we have Peru, and we could go on and on and on and on and on about decentralizing this kind of power and control and putting it in the hands of people. And I think it's just amazing for people. Well, how about this? I think it's imperative for people to understand these ideas that established this republic We tried communism. We tried the communal thing. They were dying. And the encampments began to thrive, right? Yes. As they applied these principles, again, they were able to survive through the winter because they had a vested interest in the land. Their life. Their life. Mm -hmm. Eating. So they made it through that year, 1622. Now another year rolls around. 
And now they think they've got it figured out. Oh, we know now we know what we need to do. We have our own property and we can grow as much as we want. And we have all this extra, we're going to make more money. So as they move into the year 1623, the greed started surfacing in the hearts of these Puritans, these separatists, sorry, the pilgrims. They're, they're seeing the cash benefit to their labor and there's nothing wrong with that. But they took their eyes off of who was providentially providing for them and looking at their own efforts. And so as they go into 1623 with an enthusiasm of being a shareholder in their crops, they plant all of the, the, the various crops and it starts to grow. But not long after, the crops begin to decay and die and there's no rain they went into a 12-week drought. This is in 1623. This is two years now into their settlement. So once again, they're not going to survive if they can't get the, if there's no rain, 12 weeks. They can't control rain. God does that. They were trusting in their own effort. So again, prayer, fasting, asking the Lord, what is it we're doing? And he showed, he peeled away the layers of pride and said, you're not trusting in me. You're trusting in your own effort. Pain and hunger has a way of causing us to reevaluate our motives. Absolutely. What it came down to is selfishness versus self-interest. So when they finally saw what the, the root of the problem was, the rains came. Nine hours of prayer and fasting after a 12 week drought. And in comes the gentle rains weeks of gentle, soft rains, which was such a testament to Providence because even the Algonquins could not believe the crops were not being destroyed by typical summer storms with hail and harsh harsh winds. They had never seen weeks of just gentle rains bringing forth an abundant crop. It was an absolute testimony to a supernatural move. They recognized this was supernatural. This was not a natural occurrence. So what happened? They had more than enough. It was a bountiful crop the end of 1623. And then we go into the next Thanksgiving. So they call Bradford calls for another Thanksgiving dinner where the Algonquins come back again. And this time they brought 120 braves and Whoa. their wives. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike the prior Thanksgiving, they knew that it would be more than provided for, and they did. They brought in additional foods. The women, the women from the tribe taught the pilgrim women how to make native foods, and one of their favorite desserts was popcorn, and they taught them how to popcorn. So before they began this wonderful feast of Thanksgiving, the first course of of the day was five kernels of corn on their plates. And it was a reminder that the year before everyone had been rationed five kernels of corn a day to eat. And with, by the way, five's the number of grace. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting? Mm-hmm. Not one person died, even though they went into near starvation mode. So those five kernels were that reminder of what they had come through. So that was establishing the foundation for the cornerstone of our country. 
because it was a colony based on self-government. And I think the thought I'd like to wrap up with is a quote actually from William Bradford, who in reflecting upon those years and the significance that the pilgrims had in this establishment of this colony, he said, we are light bearers, even as the small handful of pilgrims were light bearers on the edge of a vast and dark continent. The light of Jesus Christ was penetrating into the heart of America. As one small candle may light a thousand, so the light kindled here has shown unto many, yea, in some sort to our whole nation. We have noted these things so that you may see their worth and not negligently lose what your fathers have obtained with such hardships. So as we learn their story and how they held fast to what they came to America for, which was liberty of conscience and freedom and self-government, they nearly died. They nearly died multiple times. Multiple times. 50% of them died the first year. Nobody died on the ship. They all survived the, the ship, but they died when they got here. So for me, when I look at the story of our founding fathers, I think we are, such, we are so blessed to be benefactors of this heritage, and yet it is being hidden now. We don't understand the significance of what they sacrificed for, for ideas bigger than themselves, ideas that are life-giving, And we're losing that. And those ideas of individual self-government are what established this republic. And it's at the core of rest. And Natalie, we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. But I've seen miracles. Randy Lee, you work with me. And Natalie, you too. We see miracles. Every day. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. These ideas are congruent with design. Yeah. The fingerprint bears witness of mm-hmm. the value of these ideas. Your very anatomy bears witness of the absolute necessity for you to consult your conscience and individually self-govern in difficult times during hard circumstances. Mm-hmm. These ideas are imperative in displacing the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease of our times. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Randy Lee. Well, Can't thank wait you to for letting more. me share. I will say this. When I look back at how these remarkable people survived, we're not all that different. Most of us are not willing to do the deep examination except through pain and suffering. And we, I see a theme through all of this, and that is when we're willing to do the hard thing, to listen to our conscience, to to do what's lawful and kind and observe those laws of nature. Providence takes care of us. You do reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. And it's no different at that time than it is now. And we mustn't lose hope. Throughout so the good. world, people are going through these. You have an amazing quote that I'd like to finish with from Verna Hall. This Hall was working for the federal government and saw the abolition of these ideas and the restructuring of government in such a way that was going to take us right back to confusion, chaos, and disease, 
and to the death of the spirit, soul, and body of our nation because she profoundly understood these principles. So in her memory, I'd like to finish with her quote. The pilgrim wanted liberty for himself, his wife, and the little ones and or his brethren to walk with God in a Christian life as the rules and motives of such a life were revealed to him from God's word. For that, he went into exile, for he crossed the ocean. For that, he made his home in a wilderness. The Puritan's idea was not liberty, but right government in church and state, such government as should not only permit him, but also compel other men to walk in the right way. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you. Well, thanks for inviting me. All right, everyone. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>